Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. You can find Remarkably Remote on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome, everyone, to the Total Soccer Show. Uh, my name is Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me today because joining me is America's right back. Daryl Grove is not America's right back. Steve Chiretolo is. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always good to have you on. Uh, I think this is your third appearance of sorts. We talked a little bit in Germany. We talked over the phone a couple months ago. Uh, now with the coronavirus quarantine, I know you're at home uh, with the family. Uh, spring break uh, wrapping up, homeschooling about to begin. Is there a subject you are least looking forward to having to teach? I would say no. It's first grade material, so I'm feel pretty confident about getting getting my daughter through that. Um, That's good. But, but uh, you know, thinking thinking ahead, uh, you know, somewhere in high school, I think math may be some issues. But uh, other than that, I feel feel good about this homeschooling next week. <laughs> All right, so you feel good about that. Uh, math, math issues aside, uh, but I'm going to assume. You also uh, have some things to say about your time with the U.S. national team. Uh, it's a thing we've been doing. If people haven't heard those episodes, we did like five most memorable games with Alexi Lalas. We did five most memorable games with Tony Sana. Now we're doing five most memorable games with Steve Cherundolo, uh whose national team career spanned three decades, is how I'm going to frame that one. Uh, you started in 1999, finished up in 2012. 87 caps, two goals. The defender special is what I call that one. Uh, we're going to narrow that list down a little bit uh, to hear about your five most memorable games. As I said, for whatever reason... Uh, Steve, do you have like one that jumps out right away? Either like it could be like the first game, it could be one of the earlier games, it could be from whenever you want. Uh, is there a game that is maybe we can go fifth most memorable? Maybe how about that? Um, yeah, I'll, you know what? This, the one that kind of pops to my mind. I mm-hmm. think it's. I don't think it's fair to say it's my most memorable. So fifth, fifth may be all right. Um, <laughs> in my first cap in Jamaica, mm-hmm. um, I was nervous. I was nineteen. Uh, I know I was nervous as nervous as hell, and um, some of the only guys on the team, you know, did their job uh, to calm me down. But uh, especially, you know, like Kobe. So um, they were very nice, uh, but I was nervous and uh, didn't play particularly well in the first half. And I think I think uh, Bruce said that at halftime, he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. And, uh, and, I, and he said, all right, well, pick it up a little bit. <laughs> and I did. That's a very <laughs> pretty simple halftime talk for me personally. And, um, uh, you know, I was just trying to find a way in the team and, and uh, you know, get, get my feet wet a little bit. So um, second half went much better, and I felt confident after the game. And uh, ironically enough, um, I ended up actually getting the – I don't know if it was then or before or right after. I'm pretty sure it was then, though. Um, I had a bout of, of shingles at that game, and I have no idea how it happened. Whoa. It must have been so much uh, overdue stress. Uh, but uh, – yeah, that game definitely sticks out in my mind. For both of you, know, it was my first cap. It was super exciting, and I'm super nervous. And uh, yeah, and my and my, my back hurt like hell. Yeah. So was that before or after the game that you uh, you came down with the shingles? I, I think it was during because I oh, felt wow. like during the game. Uh, honestly, like it was like a felt like I got stuck like a bee right in my back. And then uh, sure enough, it just kind of stayed there. 
Wow. So that's interesting, and I appreciate that, because I feel like we hear a lot from athletes about, like, oh, no, you like you get a little bit nervous, but you know how to manage it. It's not a big deal. So in the moment before the game, when you are a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, like, what is Kobe Jones doing? Or was it just very obvious? Were you, like, shaking in the corner, and he just had to come over and, like, pat you on the back? Uh, it's mostly in the lead-up, you know, uh-huh. during training, and then, um, you know, obviously right in the locker room, after the last team talk, you know that you're going to be playing, that they had, the team has been announced. Um, yeah, a little nervous, and people would just say, hey, come on, you got this. Um, it's most of the time it's the people who are directly affect you on the field. So it would be your, you know, one of your center backs or one of the, maybe a forward or a midfielder on, on your side of the field um, or a goalkeeper. So it's usually those players who will come and say, hey, we have to do this and this and this. Um, and there are obviously plenty of veterans on that team. And so, um, uh, yes, I was nervous, I'll be honest about that, but it wasn't um, – I, I probably didn't make it too obvious. Uh, you were like sure, rocking back and forth. All right, that's good. No, definitely not. <laughs> but like, so like that—that that feels like the type of game. Like, I feel like anybody who's played knows that sort of experience of just like, oh, that pass wasn't the way I wanted it to be. I better make the next one right, and then you're kind of overthinking that next pass, and it kind of goes from there. It's kind of a quicksand game, but it can be really difficult to pull yourself out, as you said. Maybe, maybe Bruce Arena just being sort of blunt it w- was the key. But do you remember anything in particular that like made you feel like, okay, that was what I wanted to go right? Like things are maybe starting to turn around. Uh, uh, in that second half, yeah, I think I think you 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 know you were spot on. And most of the times, that things that are nerves come out in, in in the details of the game. Um, it's never really you'll never really see it in a player's effort. I think when players are nervous, they usually end up giving more effort than they probably need to or should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it usually um, you can usually see it or comes out when there's a poor passing or or maybe a, a bad touch. It's because a little bit of concentration is. is is gone because of the nerves. And so and that's exactly what happened once uh, in the first half. Once I settled in, crossing was there, passing was there, um, um, first touches were there. And so that's those are just little things that kind of, you know, sneak into your game that aren't, that aren't usually there. So you said something really interesting there with the idea of, like, more effort than you needed to put in. Because most of the time when you hear, like, uh, people criticizing players, it's because they're not working hard enough. They don't care enough. They're not putting in enough effort. And it is interesting that it can go the other way. Is that just sort of like you're trying to make a play, you're trying to chase somebody down, but then you, like, leave the area you're supposed to be patrolling? What does that mean in your mind when you say, like, more effort than I needed to put in? Correct. I mean, there, there's um, you can think your way through a game. Um, you can just run your way through a game. Um, you can you can play the game very physically, or you can play, try to play the game very tactically. And I think um, you know the best games for the best players. They they have a great mix of both, of the physical and tactical side. Um, and I think you know for younger players, obviously the bar is a little more tilted into the physical side of the games and, and, and effort. And uh, you know, just to kind of sum it up. Looking at um, towards the end of my career, the total distance, distance run and sprints um, during the game were considerably less than the beginning of my career because you're making a lot of runs that don't make any sense as a younger pro, but you definitely want to put in the effort. The quality of your running and decision-making becomes much better later on in your career. And in terms of, like, we hear a lot about uh, CONCACAF, uh, like, a road games being very difficult to play, can be tough to go on the road to some of these countries. How is Jamaica uh, on the road as your first cap? Is that recommended for people who are considering getting their first uh, caps with the U.S. national team? I mean, it's definitely an eye-opener for sure. Um, you know, when Jamaica scores a goal, the entire stadium lights up, so it's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty wild as well, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful island, uh, great culture. So um, there are definitely worse first caps than that, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, Jamaica as a team that traditionally have very individually skilled players, obviously on the wings, 
And, uh, you know, I can't draw up a name for you right now who I, who was, I was playing against at the moment at that game. But um, certainly they've always been known for really fast and, and, and uh, 1v1 capable uh, wingers. And, uh, you know, that's something you always face in Jamaica. Let me ask you this then. So when you like when you're retiring, is there a moment or like wh- if there were one uh, like away place in Concacaf that you sort of thought about as like oh I'm retired now I don't have to go play there ever again I don't have to deal with everything involved. Is there one country that comes to mind? Is there one location that you're sort of happy to not have to play in anymore? Ooh yeah, actually there's, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got real quiet on that one. <laughs> and, and, and it's definitely not anything in the Caribbean. So I would I would definitely say um, for sure Mexico City, clearly mm-hmm. because um, of, you know result oriented. Uh, we haven't done too well there, uh, or w- at least when I have been there. Um, so yeah, Mexico City is never fun. I don't need to go back there to play in Azteca against Mexico anymore. Um, so Teresa as well in Costa Rica. That's a tough stadium and venue to play at. And, um, yeah, I would say uh, San Pedro Sula, no? That's uh, always always uh, an eye-opener for sure. And how difficult was that? Uh, Tony Santa talked a little bit about how difficult it was to go from, like, playing in Germany. He would get calls from his coach being annoyed that he would play, like, a full 90 instead of just 45 or something like that. How big of a challenge is that, traveling from Germany to the United States to go to a CONCACAF country? Like, you play a game in the U.S., you go to, say, Mexico City, then you fly back to Germany, you've got a game on the weekend. How big of a challenge was that, and how were you able to sort of navigate it? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And I think, you know, the FIFA had, has now changed the... Um, the game schedule. So back then um, we were playing Wednesday, Saturday. So you would be a FIFA break. You would play in your club on the weekend. You would go away. You'd travel on Sunday or at the latest Monday if you played Sunday. And you'd have a, a good week of training um, with the national team before the game on the weekend uh, was played. And then you played the following Wednesday as well. Um, and then you flew back to your clubs. Now they've changed that. You know, so they've um, they move a game up. Uh, where it's a where it's a Friday Tuesday or a Thursday Tuesday thing, so a little more time to play at your um, to rest before you play your club game after uh, the national team games or, or, or window break. So uh, FIFA has has done well with that, but I definitely recall having to play Wednesday night in uh, I'd have to say um, well, I think it's Honduras mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday night and. Didn't obviously get on a plane until Thursday morning and wasn't back into Germany until Friday morning because of the time difference. And had a game, flew straight to Kaiserslautern and had a game, uh, or to Frankfurt, and then drove to Kaiserslautern and had a game Friday night. And my European coach, my German coach, was not abiding at all and didn't particularly see any reason to take it easy on me. So he said, <laughs> listen, if you want to continue playing for the national team, you're going to play tonight. Um, that game didn't go too very well. They, they, it didn't go very well, to be to be frank. Um, but it was still pretty. It was still a challenge to me to even try to play Wednesday night, which would have been Thursday morning um, German time or European time, um, and then Friday night European time the next game. So yeah, uh, difficult. Yeah. <laughs> mostly because of the lack of understanding from the German coaches. That's okay. So I think you've kind of answered that. That was going to be my next question is like, I think I've just always assumed that when you come back from national team duty, it's, it's almost like a, like returning from summer break. Like, here's what I did. Here's what my team did. What did your team do? And, and it only occurs to me now that like club coaches don't care. They just want to get on with the club season. They don't care what you did aside from, are you fit? And can you play? Was there ever a time when they like wanted to know what was up or how it went? Or is it just sort of straight into training? I don't care about that other team you play for. Um, there was always a question, how did you do, and, you know, maybe a, a following question, if it was a qualifier, where are you guys on the table? 
But I think it's, for the most part, there's very little interest um, from the club side, uh, purely because the interests are different. Um, you know, clubs are the ones who pay the salaries of the players. Yes, I know FIFA and the national team supplement um, a little bit of that, but it's only a fraction uh, when players do um, go to the national teams. For the most part, uh, it's a big risk for clubs. And I understand the, you know, their lack of interest. Um, but what I do, do not understand is um, at least being empathetic towards the player and what he's gone through because the player will perform better in the club if he's happy. And uh, one thing I never really understood the standpoint of the German club coaches, you know, my coaches, I can only speak from my own experiences, but, you know, having to talk to other guys who've played in Germany, um, you know, as well as like uh, Connor Casey, obviously Clint Mathis, they're all national team players. We went through the same thing. So, um, yeah, uh, they could have done a better job of managing that. So you've got your first cap now. Uh, you played against Jamaica. You haven't maybe yet annoyed your coaches by by playing too much and being tired coming back. Uh, wh- where are we heading next in terms of your most memorable games? Um, yeah, I think we're going to uh, the game I did not play in, but I'm mm-hmm. going to name it anyway because it was an absolute eye opener for me, and it was uh, the 2002 World Cup, um, the group game against Portugal. Yeah, um, um, it was definitely absolutely incredible feeling at halftime uh, to be leading uh, by that amount and the team really performed well and hadn't been involved in the training leading up to that game um, you know A against B team and this and that and you know not getting into too many details but traditionally B teams usually win in training prior to a game because an A team is focused on certain parts of their game and doing certain things tactically and the B team obviously want to show the coach that uh, you know they want to get on the field so um, nothing special that happened there, but it did happen in the World Cup in Korea as well, that the B team really outplayed the A team prior to that game, and nobody really knew where we were uh, leading into that game, and then uh, having just an amazing first half, everybody who was involved in that on the field just played out of their minds, and that really struck me as like, wow, this is incredible. Um, the whole event, um, the performance from the boys, um, the result of the end of the game, just just an amazing day for me to, as a younger pro, um, to to be a part of one and, and to gain the experience to understand what it was like is I'll be honest. Um, I probably, not probably, I wasn't ready to play at that level. That game was much faster than anything I had seen before. And that was a big eye opener for me. So, uh, Great experience. I, I, I do, I do feel like you're being uh, like a little bit harsh on yourself because my understanding is you're, uh, like basically brought into the squad because Chris Armis gets the injury, but then you yourself pick up an injury. Was there a chance you were going to play or was it always that you were, uh, injured and, and couldn't play or was it just sort of like, yeah, maybe you're the reserve right back at this point, even if you're fully fit? Uh, at that point, I hadn't been injured in the first game. Okay. It happened between the uh, second and third game. So, um, I don't know. That's a question for Bruce Arena. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, um, I think it's, I don't, yeah, tough question to ask it. Yeah. Now, a couple of years later. Well, so, so then let me ask you this. Like, like in the moment, like as you're watching the game, was there, like, this is a tough one, I imagine, but like, was there a part of you that like kind of didn't want to be substituted in when you see the speed, when you see how physical it is, how sort of demanding it is, the pace the game's being played? Is there that like natural athlete instinct of like, no, I want to play, I want to be part of this, or is this like, yeah, maybe I'm okay to sit on the sidelines and just observe and see how this is going? Um, I would say, to be fair, there's probably a little bit of both. Okay. Um, absolutely, you want to get on the field. I mean, everybody wants to be on the field to play. Um, you know, but you also you also want to make sure um, you know that what we're doing on a World Cup with the team is successful, and, and at that point in the game, 
the team was successful and they were playing well. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to at that point when players are being subbed in, we had something to lose um, because we were winning in a World Cup game, and you don't you don't want to mess with that. So if really, if you're being subbed in at that point, it can't get much better. And so I think every everybody at that in that situation realizes some tough situations to be subbed into. But um, because you know that becomes very psychological, we have something to lose. Um, and do I think about the positive or the negative? So I think I think to be fair to answer your question, it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. As a defender, you always have to be a little more pessimistic and think more about the negative and the positive because you need to um, avoid being scored on instead of instead of scoring. So um, yeah, a little bit of both. And I've always been curious, like, this is the the Portugal golden generation. They're, like, one, one of the favorites for that tournament. U.S. beats them 3-2 in the very first game. At the end of it, are they, are they just, do they just walk off? Are they just sort of dejected? Is there a moment of them being like, wow, you guys are better than we thought you would be? Uh, I think for sure they were surprised in the first half. Mm-hmm. And um, to be fair, um, they, uh, you know, we have no idea how they prepared for the tournament. So it's not fair to say um, they did not prepare well. Mm-hmm well enough for us, but um, it could be a number of things. And this is just me kind of looking on the outside and you know, using, obviously, the yeah, um, insights I had during the game. It could have been um, maybe taking us a you know, little bit, not being completely taken as seriously. Mm-hmm. I could be a little bit to that. It, it could have been some internal problems within the team. Um, it could have been a number of things. It could have been, um, you know, the training lead up to the tournament. They were not maybe as fit as they should have been prior to that game, or maybe they didn't have enough rest. They could, maybe they weren't fresh enough. Um, so it could, really could be a number of things. Um, so I can only be speculating. That, that, that's fair. But we, like, I think uh, talking to Tony about the Mexico quarterfinal, or the uh, knockout round game, where like, you know, Rafa Marquez melts down, uh, tries to assault Kobe Jones. There's lots of physical play. Mexico like are in fighting. So I'm always curious when teams sort of don't have that element, and it seemed like Portugal were just sort of very frustrated, and then that was the end of the game. There wasn't any sort of malicious side to it as far as I could see. No, um, and it was the, the, the first game of the group play. So, um, right, good point. They still had everything to play for after that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think towards the end of the game, you know, things were obviously getting a little more emotional, and they were pushing hard, but um, no, it never really got into the into the bad blood phase. And in that, for that 2002 squad, who were the kind of people that were motivating in the locker room, that were kind of picking everybody up and getting everybody ready, and then who were the people in your mind that sort of helped alleviate some tension if things got a little bit too tense, a little bit too serious? Who was the person that sort of uh, knocked things back a little bit, made it a bit more lighthearted? Yeah, I think, I think the goalkeepers have always been a very important part of the U.S. national teams, um, just going back uh, to Tony Miola, you know, um, and moving on from there, and um, you know, 2002 uh, was much the same with Brad and being a vocal leader, and and, uh, and then obviously um, with Claudio, um, he can do both. He can be emotional. He can also be you know he can be calm as well and give out tactical um, uh, tactical directions. And then a guy like Brian McBride as well, who um, you know who seems to always be calm, but it can bring fire in the game as well. So really, just a really great group of of guys. You know, and the current coach Greg Berhalter there was somebody who was. There's also somebody who's very emotional out there. So it was a really good mix, and you really have to compliment Bruce. And I think this is what really separated Bruce from a lot of other coaches, that um, you know, the squads he picked were very, uh, were very well done and, and very well balanced. You had everything. You had experience. You had, youth, um, you had explosiveness. You had, you had uh, calmness. You had tactical awareness, um, physicality in your team. So um, it was a really good group of, of players who gelled on the field but as well as off the field. 
Much more still to come from Steve Cherundolo, but first I wanted to let you know that today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by The Black Tux, where you can find your perfect fit without leaving home for free. The Black Tux provides uh, suits, tuxedos for any event you might need them for. They have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo uh, straight to you. You just pick a style at theblacktux.com, request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit, and they have got some options. Uh, they could be for an individual, they could be for groups if you're looking to get like your entire wedding party decked out in some lovely gear if you aren't sure of the sizing or, or what you're looking for entirely. Uh, they have a way to help you that avoids a tape measure, which is always good, uh, since who has a tape measure lying around? Uh, with the Find My Fit option, you answer some basic questions like height, weight, shoulder size, and the like, and then you can see what options they have for you. They use 100% merino wool in their suiting, 100% cotton for their shirting, and real leather for their shoes, so you know that you're getting the finest of products. Uh, from there, they'll ship you your order two weeks prior to your event, so you can check it out one last time to make sure everything fits the way you want, the way it should. So whether you're buying your outfit or just looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Uh, if you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code SOCCER. That's theblacktux.com, code SOCCER, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Uh, I'm going to assume that Steve Trendolo has had to wear a tuxedo on at least a couple occasions, uh, being the professional footballer, the World Cup attending footballer that he is. I'm going to guess that there were some tuxedos in his life. Uh, so we'll get back to Steve Trendolo talking not necessarily about tuxedos, more so about his uh, career with the national team. I guess I just kind of always assumed it was Clinton Dem- or not Clinton Dempsey, Clinton Mathis, who was the sort of lighthearted one. I don't know if it was the Mohawk. I remember the stories about how he would eat McDonald's and stuff like that. The commentators seemed to enjoy that one. So that always gave me the idea that he was the one that sort of lightened things up in the locker room. Uh, was that sort of his role, or was he maybe more focused than the uh, narrative suggested? Yeah, I think Clay gets a bad rap for that. You know, I think, obviously, Clay also had a good time and to laugh and enjoy, uh, enjoy life and enjoy being around the team and, and have fun in training. But, um, you know, going, in, going into a competition, he's very focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as the whistle blows and, and, and training, he's very focused at winning and, and, and obviously as a goal scorer scoring. So um, that is not, you know, what I, how I learned, how I got to know Clint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a very serious side to him and there's a very serious side to him as an athlete as well. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> so Clint can do it. You know, he has both sides, but like I said, um, the Clint I got to know was probably a little more serious than what, was written about him. That makes sense. So Clint, Clint Mathis, uh, serious goal scorer, uh, like does does good things against Korea. Obviously, uh, do you have more memories from that tournament, or should we move on to uh, to your next game? Um, yeah, let's move on. All let's right. move on. Um, and um, it's kind of just it's really fresh my mind because it was just just on Facebook. I think yesterday um, from U.S. Soccer, it just uh, live streamed the game against Costa Rica at home. Um, it was the qualifier of 2009 before we qualified for the World Cup. 2-2, I believe. And uh, we are away before that, a couple of days before that. Uh, I don't have to lie right now. I think it was Honduras or Guatemala. I'm not sure which one. I think Honduras, we had, we had beaten away, which was, uh, had almost clinched us for the World Cup. Or actually did qualify for the World Cup, and then the next home game uh, solidified the first place spot um, against Costa Rica. We went down two to nothing, and in between those games, um, there was obviously a really bad accident with Charlie Davies um, that that just rocked our world as a, as a team. And you know, it was in, the next game was very emotional and um, not easy. Not an easy couple of days. Um, 
and obviously we wanted to, you know, perform for Charlie in that game. And Costa Rica came out pretty strong and they had a good game and we went down 2 nothing at halftime. So, you know, our, our minds and our, and our hearts were elsewhere, but we really need to focus and, and get the job done because we wanted to finish in first place and uh, not lose, obviously, in our last qualifier at home. Uh, ended up coming back and uh, Johnny Bornstein had a kind of the corner in the last minute of the game and it was uh, quite a quite a feeling emotionally for everybody um, and the end result ended up being that uh, because of that goal Costa Rica did not qualify for the World Cup so um, all very emotional trip and game um, and anytime you can simplify the first spot of CONCACAF at home in the last qualifier it's something special and uh, needless to say there was quite a celebration afterwards and and was that like the type of experience in which there's so much going on off the field that as soon as you're kind of on the field, you're able to just sort of focus on the game and it almost becomes like a sort of calming thing that basically you're playing the game, you're kind of doing the thing that you know how to do, you do for a profession and kind of everything else fades? Or is there sort of the ever-present realization that like, well, that's not the person who would usually be playing up top? Yeah, and that varies from player to player. Um, you can totally see players uh, who who try to use that emotion, uh, those emotions going on and try to channel them into, you know, a positive performance, but then it just becomes too emotional and they can't, um, you know, the, the goodwill is there, but it just doesn't really pan out something in some players. Um, use soccer or use the, the game as sort of a, a way to get away from, you know, from emotion, whether it's positive or negative. So yes, it can be kind of a, um, you know, a safe haven for them to get away from those emotions and, and uh, just focus on the game. It's, it's a way to forget things. Um, and that completely depends on the individual. Um, for me personally, um, I, I loved having the distraction of a game and a job to do uh, to not think about certain things that, you know, maybe emotionally um, made me sad or, or happy. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I used it more of a distraction. And like th- maybe this this sounds like slightly callous to ask, but we, we you know we know Charlie. Charlie recovers. Charlie goes on to have a, a a solid career. Is now an analyst for MLS, so is doing fine there. But in the moment, like when when there's replacements coming in, like I remember like Robbie Finley was tested uh, a couple games later against Turkey as like maybe a Charlie Davies replacement. Is there this idea that like you are just like these players are being brought in and tested to sort of replace this player who's not going to be there anymore? Do they sort of like have that awareness, do you think, coming in of like, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for this situation? And were, were there players that you think like handled that better than others? Or were there some that were just sort of maybe overcome by the experience? I'd say yes and no, but I think the you know the longer and the more time you spend in, in sports and, and team sports, you realize that you know there's always people knocking on the door and there's always somebody coming up. There's always a younger player, so, so I think it's somewhat natural to to understand that there's you know if somebody goes down, somebody will fill a spot. And uh, I think it's your job as a professional as well um, to understand that and and to really um, focus on that. If you do not play, if you do not perform, somebody will take my spot, and that's another form of motivation. So. Um, I would say most of the players understand what's going on and have a good idea that um, a good idea of the business behind the sport. But I think for a lot of fans, myself included, that incident, like 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 the life threatening aspect of it aside, once we know Charlie survives, but we know he's not going to be or very likely not going to be able to play in the World Cup, there is also that panic of like, oh, like that might be us in a lot of trouble because the Davies Altador partnership looks so strong. Did you all have that same sort of reaction? Was there a like, oh, that could be a big big problem for us, or is it just sort of like, all right, let's just keep moving, let's just keep moving, uh, we'll we'll figure something out, it'll be fine. Of course, the initial reaction is, 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 was probably for everybody the same. 
oh, we know we've had this team and it's been successful, and you know there's some, there's some match matchups on the team that work as well. Um, you know now that's been kind of uh, you know it's been it's been it's been broken and it's been upset. So um, the initial reaction definitely is is for sure is for sure the same for the players as for the fans. Um, but uh, you know life does go on, and then you're forced uh, to move on. You know you really don't have a choice um, but to move on. And, you know, we were ambitious as a team and as, as individuals, so we wanted to get on uh, and do the best we could, uh, even without Charlie. I, I, I really, like, don't want to be indelicate here, but I, I know that in 2009 as well, there's the passing of Robert Enke, uh, who was your club teammate. Was, was that, like, while being a very memorable year for you, you have the Confederations Cup, you have the qualification for the World Cup. How difficult a year was that for you personally with the Davies injury and then with uh, Robert Enke passing away? Um, yeah, extremely, um, extremely, but also very. Um, I mean, having you know, obviously both were, 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 you know, were, were kind of negative events where you have to deal with some, some, some emotion and, and uh, sadness. But um, I also learned a lot about it from both situations, um, and I think, you know, one of the things is um, that soccer is great. I love it. Um, it has been a huge part of my life, and hopefully, it will be for the next. 50 years, like I lived that long, but um, it is not everything for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that really puts things in perspective and um, it really makes you understand as a pro, look, there's the business side, there's the job side of it. And then there's, there's, uh, and that is, that is soccer. You know, we try to make it, it is our passion and we pour as much emotion and passion as we can into it. But on the other hand, it is for professional players, also a job and a career. And you really have to learn how to separate those two. And I think events like that helped me um, kind of make that separation and, and prepare for for situations like that. So uh, we, we're in 2009. You've qualified for the World Cup. Uh, do we want to talk Confederations Cup at all, or, or do you want to move on to maybe the 2010 World Cup? Um, yeah, let's let's make a jump back. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very good at this chronological thing to the 2006 World Cup. Okay, I like that. Uh, Germany was, Germany was uh, obviously the country I had played in for – at that point now for about seven years. Uh, really special to have, uh, to have, you know, the World Cup come to the club you're playing in, or the country you're playing mm-hmm. in. And um, Hanover was one of the venues as well. We, obviously, uh, our team was based in, in Hamburg, which wasn't far away. And, um, you know, that World Cup was uh, super special for me because all of my family came, extended family came. Um, yeah, I think there was a, a group of at least 20 and I do remember, you know, being in the family hotel a lot, and and all of the families really gelling with, well with each other, and and going out and having a good time. And you know, Germany did an excellent job of hosting. It kind of made it a, an amazing event for everybody. Um, and unfortunately, you know, obviously our performance wasn't as great as it was in 2002 and 2010. But the event, I think, for the families was way better than Korea and South Africa. So um, you take the good with the bad, right, and, and vice versa. Um, and for me, the game at that time was uh, the game in Kazakhstan against Italy. And an amazing emotional ride, red cards, mm-hmm. uh, own goal, um, goal taken back. Uh, and obviously you're tied to the eventual World Cup champion. Um, I still like to joke with people to this today where, and to most of some, you know, ex-German national players, we were the only team not to lose to Italy in that tournament, so um, <laughs> which is can't say very often. And uh, for me, obviously, having my family been there and gotten be able to play in Kaiserslautern and, 
and, and being a man down. Um, and then towards the end of the game, I think one of my childhood heroes, Del Piero, gets gets uh, subbed in, and I get to play against him a little bit. Uh, it's a game that I'll never forget. So um, it was it was a really interesting game. I think purely emotional. A lot of American fans. It was one of the few games that felt like a home game for us, um, away from home. It doesn't happen very often for U.S. national teams, and that certainly did. So that was uh, definitely a special game that I'll never forget. What is your approach to playing your hero? Because I feel like I would maybe try to be like a little bit chummy with them as soon as they came on. Like not being like you're the best, I love you, but just more of a like, hey man, how you doing? Good, good to see you. Like, are you are you friendly, or are you like I'm gonna let him know that I respect him by going a thousand percent against him every single time? Um, yeah, there was no there was no uh, conversation, um, but it was definitely yeah I, I didn't didn't back down at all. Um, tried to win my one v one battles and and obviously with the ball. I realized, okay, this is one of the best passers in the game and goal scorers and offensive, offensively gifted players in the game at that point. You know, at that time he was a little older, but, uh, but I had an amazing career. And so I realized, I knew then there's often an opportunity for me to do some things on the offensive end, but he, cause he's not going to want to chase me. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, I tried to take, you know, see the advantage of the situation, but at the same time, um, I have to figure out a way to guard this guy. Were there so, some... um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted go ahead. you. No, no, go ahead. Uh, were there were there some players, uh, maybe not Del Piero, but others who like are particularly chatty? Like, were there people you defended who uh, like to talk? Not necessarily trash talk, although I do I, I do have questions about trash talk as well. But just are there people that stand out in your mind, either in that World Cup or elsewhere, who just like you know enjoyed a chat during the game, like to see what you were up to, like would say like, hey, good tackle there, or anything like that. Yeah, there's some players uh, for sure uh, in that particular World Cup. Um, uh, I don't know. I'd have to kind of look back and see who exactly I played against. But thinking back about the Bundesliga, you know, a guy like Frank Ribéry, mm-hmm. um, he and I would chat 90 minutes. Um, so it was uh, interesting the conversation. Most of it is is really has no meaning. But uh, he's somebody who just likes to just talk. And obviously, he's one of those players around the world. He's one of the few players who can really just turn the switch on and forget what's going on around him as soon mm-hmm. as the ball's in play making amazing decisions that can do amazing things offensively. Um, so, yeah, one of the players who definitely likes to chat out there. And you're, you're fluent in English and German, as I understand. Uh, but, like, when people are talking or trash-talking, do they try to say it in English? Do they try to say it in German? Like, what, what is the approach, or how often have you been cursed at in a language you didn't understand, is I guess what I'm asking. Yeah, for sure. Um, all of the above. I think the, the general rule of communication is... Uh, just trying to communicate, and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what language. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very clear to see when somebody is, is not happy with you and maybe trying to insult you. Um, and then the language skills do not matter. And it's usually for somebody who isn't fluent in a, in a language, it's usually it makes a little bit of a language they're learning um, and, a, and a lot of their native tongue. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like kids. Kids just want to communicate, and they don't really care what language they're speaking. They just yeah. want to communicate. And I think the same goes for adults when they get emotional. <laughs> Um, and, and in terms of emotional experiences, a World Cup is pretty emotional. Having experienced 2002, which is such, such a successful team, you make the deep run, Germany cheat, that's how I'm going to phrase that forever uh, to make sure that uh, you guys don't score a goal. Uh, I blame Torsten Frings. In 2006, how different was the vibe? Because like in my mind, it would be very clear, like, oh, things aren't quite going our way. The game against the Czech Republic to start off, certainly not what you all were hoping for. Are, are you all like able to shake that off immediately, or does that linger does that stick with you of like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel the way it felt in 2002? Um, certainly 
I mean, if you just look at the teams, the quality of the teams, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference in, in the two teams. I think certainly there may have been some, some difference in, in characteristics and how the teams were uh, were built um, and, you know, and how we function in and out of the locker room and the meal rooms and stuff. Uh, that's okay. There's no really right or wrong there. Um, teams, every team is different. Um, but I think you realize in, in, in tournament form, um, and even in, in short stints of a season, you know, um, some people like to call it uh, luck or fortune or they're, they're, having, they're on a run. Um, there is something to be said about that, that things just kind of go your way. Uh, and then what, it's up to you as a team to, to obviously, if it's going the wrong way, to put your foot down and, you know, and change things and make sure, you know, things go in the other direction. Um, and, you know, in 2002, things just kind of went against us. You know, whether it was a call in the last group game uh, for, you know, for a penalty um, or not, which I didn't think it was, and, and little things like that that didn't go our way that tournament. And, you know, to say at the end, you know, was it our fault or was it somebody else's fault, I think it, it's really fair to, to do that. I would just say that um, it just wasn't our year. And um, uh, I, I don't think the performance we had on the field – weren't quite good enough to get us out of the group. And I think there were some things we could have done differently, for sure, in the performances. And I think that every individual um, has to obviously answer that for themselves. But I felt like in those three games, we didn't show 100% of what we could have done. Um, the reasons for that, like I said, could be a million things. And in that first game against uh, the Czech Republic, uh, three 3-0 loss, like was that a, was that a sort of a feeling of like being blitzed almost like when when that first goal goes in it, it it seems like like I remember watching that and thinking like okay they they can still fight back like these things happen and then it's two and then it's three for you all on the field in that moment are you able to sort of collect yourselves or is it just sort of reeling from start to finish with kind of the way that game went Yeah I mean you you try on the field to make some changes uh, tactically and and just to, you know just keep it simple as well, do the simple things right and, and uh, win your battles, and clean up your passing and play out of pressure and make the most of your chances. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the Czech Republic had a really good game plan. They had excellent players. It was a very good squad. Um, I don't think there was a whole lot we could have done. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, if we had a better performance, we wouldn't have lost three to nothing. We would have been two or only one or maybe two to one or three to two. It could have been a little closer. Um but I do believe that at that day, um, the Czech Republic were always going to beat us. I think they were just better than us. So, um, and I think after that game, the team showed a great, uh, great character and turned it around and had a great performance against Italy. And in that game against Italy, uh, famous in my mind for the incident with the Rossi and the red card and McBride, and it sort of set this idea in my head for like the ensuing decade that Daniela De Rossi was this very hard, very serious, like would go into challenges. You didn't want to mess with him. Like I thought of him as almost a Viking. And then I was talking to uh, a guy from from Roma who played in their academy, and he was basically saying like, no, he's the friendliest guy. Like he is the most mentor player I've ever experienced. He always is checking in on people, and it sort of completely changed my perspective. And then I heard that. De Rossi was like fairly apologetic after the match, and I'm wondering if you had any sort of experience with that, or can can speak to your experience with Daniela De Rossi. Um, with De Rossi, no, but I think there are a lot of players like him who are on the field. Um, you know, they're all about the business, and his job as a center midfielder and the enforcer in that team um, and was to be maybe a little more physical and to not let the opponent um, have. Two, two yards more or three yards more. It was, it was to get the job done. That was his role on this team. Uh, and he did an excellent job of that, and he really understood his role, and that speaks for his coaches as well, that they 
obviously gave him the role and because they knew he could handle it and understand it. Um, and I've played with a lot of players in my career who are exactly like that. I mean, one of my best friends now, um, a guy by the name of Artin Lala, I played with him my entire career here in Hanover. Uh, one of the nice human beings I know and has a huge heart, but has been voted the while we were in the while we were playing was voted the uh, worst player to play against, or the least liked player in the entire league. Um, and for me, it was hilarious because I know that's not him, but he's just doing. He's really good at his job. So we've talked debut, we've talked 2002-2006 World Cup. Uh, are we talking 2010 World Cup next? Because I, I have questions for you. Yes. Yes, we are. All right. Wh- which game in particular uh, do you want to go with? Uh, we're going to go with the Algeria game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I figured. For sure, amazing, amazing uh, result for us and uh, roller coaster of emotions. Um, you know, there was a few things about that tournament that were incredible. For me, in 2006, um, having my entire family there was um, somewhat of a distraction because you're always trying to please, you know, a fan group of 25 of your closest family members <laughs> and extended family. And in South Africa, I was alone. Nobody was there. Well, there were some security issues leading up to the tournament, and the family said, there's no way we're top in Germany. Um, that was a, just three weeks of partying, so uh, we're going to stay at home. And I was alone, and I was really able to focus on the event and take it all in just as a player, uh, which was a great experience as well. And I do remember, you know, one of the bus rides to the game, we were delayed to the game. We were late because elephants had blocked the road, um, which is great because we were in a hotel again. A natural thing. We've all had it happen. Yeah. Um, But this, you know, is the type of thing that probably shouldn't go out in the World Cup, but it did, but it makes it more enjoyable. Um, And to get back to Algeria, um, all of that leading up into it, um, you know, the group of guys, it was probably our last World Cup as as a group. We had a really tight Nick group of friends on the team, you know, with uh, Timmy and Carlos and, and Jay and Stewie and, and, and uh, myself, to name a few. Um, we realized, yeah, it's probably our last shot, so let's let's go out with a bang. And uh, you know, it looked okay leading up into that game. We felt really confident about our chances to beat Algeria, even though we did use, we did see and know that they had some they had some definitely some talent and some strength in their team. We had to be careful, but we did like our chances to beat them and move on and. Sure enough, the game keeps going and going, and you haven't, you know, haven't scored yet, you haven't scored yet, and uh, then you start to kind of lose a little bit of hope and, and, and trade. Uh, but you're still pushing forward. Um, that's your job as an athlete is to keep going until, you know, obviously the referee blows the whistle. Uh, and then in the end, it happens. And, uh, you know, we were all just super, super relieved, excited, um, gratified, you know, that we were able to uh, make it out of the group and in first place. Um and to really show our potential and uh, and to treat ourselves um, to a wonderful performance as a team because we put a lot of effort into the group itself um, on and off the field. It was nice and rewarded for that. Wait, are you in the pylon at the end there when the goal goes in, when Donovan scores? Did you get into the scrum or did you stay back and uh, you stay collected throughout? No, it was, it was you know, at that point in the game, uh, it was back and forth. You know, Julia was had some counterattacks, we had some counterattacks. Um, and so, you know, for, for an outside back who likes to get forward and was going back and forth, I do remember I was involved in a counterattack defensively. Um, it was kind of down my side, and, and it, Timmy ended up with the ball. So I was pretty deep in our own end, probably, in, in, I think, in our own penalty box. And then Timmy throws, throws the ball out towards the halfway line to, to land him, I believe. And um, mm-hmm. um, at that point, it was just too far away. And so I'm you know, obviously in more of the um, organizing mode than I was the attacking mode. And I was back in the back line with uh, with Lowe's and Jay. And uh, when we scored, 
I think we had our own pile on <laughs> in the uh, as a back line, and we were just so excited uh, to kind of celebrate together as a back line, not only close friends, but um, obviously uh, um, as a back line, you fight together on the field as well. Have you seen the uh, the compilation video of like people in bars around the United States reacting to that that goal in that moment? I don't think I have to be honest with you. No. Oh, that is it. It, it uh, genuinely brings a tear to my eye every time, and I'm and I say that saying that I'm not alone. That I feel like everyone I know who has watched that one tears up because I think they set it to the Rudy music as well. But it's just bars and like there's like old women in airport bars who are very very excited to see you all win. It really is a like a uh, catalyzing moment. And I remember watching not that game, but the game uh, against Slovenia, where I think you assist for the first goal to Donovan. Uh, we like my wife and I watched that on the way to like a family reunion in, in Buffalo where her family's from. And we stopped at this like tiny bar in Pennsylvania where no one else was watching soccer, but by the end, everybody was all into it. So I have these very pop fond memories of that team and the sort of uh, like reaction from the fan base. How aware are you all of like the coverage you're getting back home when you're at a world cup? Or is that just not some Thing you're caring about at all because you're so focused on the games um for me personally I, I wasn't too aware i was never really one to kind of sit on the limelight nor was i a, a subject of the media so um i wasn't too aware of it obviously your family and your friends you know let you know what's going on here and there but i really don't it wasn't really didn't really occur to me that there was such a huge hype around that group and that, that world cup and that performance until we got home after the world cup um, I spent a few days in LA, um, and obviously I think the ESPYs were there um, at, shortly right afterwards. And you know everybody was still kind of in this World Cup wave and hype. And uh, I think it was with Timmy, to be honest with you. And um, you know people are sh- sh- screaming his name, Tim Howard. It was I mean, just a complete rock star. And I was like, okay, that's, that's amazing, you know. And uh, I'm really happy for him. And, uh, and I, that's something that you really didn't see about. Soccer players, um, and obviously the World Cup helps that and all that hype. And we really had hope that okay, this was a really big deal. So um, I actually would have loved to have been a part of that as well. So, but you know, there's still time. Maybe I'll be able to be a, just a fan coming up in the next couple of World Cups. Oh, or you could coach. That'd be fine. I, I'm convinced that Tony Santa should be uh, president of U.S. Soccer. I'd be happy with you as national team coach down the road. That'd be fine. Uh, but in the meantime, should people just, like, should we make up for it? Should we just have people yell your name whenever they see you as loud as they can the way they did for Tim Howard? Would that make you happy? Yeah, yeah that'd be great. That'd be great. It's, it's, the best part is, is when you, you know, when you're, you take, and I love doing this because it's, and, and, uh, this actually did happen in L.A. I think Stuart, Stuart and I were with Timmy and Somebody came up and said, hey, Timmy, Timmy, can we take a picture? And they, yeah, they asked us, his fans or his friends or his personal assistants to take the photo. They have no idea who we are, which is always, which is always great. It's a, it's a big laugh for us three uh, at the time. And it, it always is funny when something like that happens. Uh, so we we talked about the Algeria game, obviously. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in the England game as well, because uh, I was watching... Like sort of extended highlights of that game, and have have you recovered fully from the number of times that James Milner kicked you? Because it seemed like that happened about fifteen times in that game. Yeah, it, uh, it was. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was a game that kind of uh, in the first half, you know, went uh, just looking at it as a very, in a very egoistical way. That kind of went my way personally. Um, I got out of the ball. And I had some fortunate situations where I was able to, you know, get by him and. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't really produce too much in the offensive. Ended up getting subbed out. I think he was, he was, you know, he was pretty close to getting a yellow red. So, yeah, things kind of went my way, um, in that game, which was, which, you know, I have some fond memories of. 
and obviously I grew up with English coaches at the San Diego Nomads and, you know, playing against England in the World Cup is, uh, was for me huge. And um, some of the guys on the team, had, you know, were in, in England at that time playing their careers. And, so, you know, American players, for the most part in, in, in Europe, um, do not get the benefit of the doubt. So it was really important for us to, to show them, hey, you know, we're, we're just as good. And uh, it's going to take a huge effort from you guys to beat us. And uh, I, think, I think the effort we put in that night was, was second to none and uh, certainly deserved that point. And and afterwards, like was Clint Dempsey claiming that goal like a hundred percent? Was he like, yeah, that's my goal for sure, or was there a little bit like, yeah, maybe we got a little bit lucky there with that one rolling in? Uh, you don't know Clint, do you? <laughs> 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 um, Clint Clint uh, is one of the fiercest competitors that I've ever played with, and people I know, uh, and that's what's made him so good. So um, as far as I'm concerned, he can own that goal as much as he wants and as much as he, he can. He can. So he was in the right place at the right time, and he did his effort to make the ball go in. So uh, credit to him. So uh, with that in mind, I have to ask. It's a, it's a conversation slash debate uh, Daryl and I have had previously. Uh, there's a game uh, later on. I think it's in World Cup qualifying in like 2013. U.S. are up 2-0 on Mexico. He, there's a penalty. Clinton Dempsey steps up and takes it. He misses it. And there's this theory that he missed it on purpose to preserve Dos Acero. Uh, knowing what you know about Clinton Dempsey, is he the type to deliberately miss a penalty? No. no. <laughs> I don't think... Uh... Hopefully there aren't too many players out there that miss penalties on purpose, and uh, certainly not Clint. Clint will do anything to score a goal, and um, penalties are an easy way to score goals. And, and in terms of like like st- maybe stick with Clint Dempsey, but I, I'm I'm wondering who it would be. Like who is the player for the national team throughout your 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 time with them? Uh, as I said, what like 87 caps, I believe. Um, who is the player that you think was like on that next level for the longest period of time, or who do you think like had just like this consistent string of performances where they did truly seem like they were like a world class next level player for the U.S. national team? Yourself aside, that's obviously. Really, we don't have to talk about you if you don't a, want to. That's a really good question. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like to talk about myself, so I'm not going to. Um, um, nor do I qualify for that category. So, um, uh, you know, for me, a guy who I always looked up to, and I thought he was just, um, you know, kind of just further along anybody else as far as understanding the game and, and the way he, you know, he, he had solutions on the field no matter what, team or, or uh, situation he was in was Claudio. And I think Claudio was just uh, somebody who was just, you know, that much better time and somebody I personally learned a lot from and look up to um, um, in the beginning of my career with the national team. And then towards the end, you know, part of our, you know, our, our group or generation, my generation of players, and I got to pick out Jimmy. Jimmy has performed at a high level um, for pretty most of his career. And obviously in, in you know, his heyday, he was, uh, you know, he was the man. He saved us a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then he kept doing that in 2014 as well. It's, it, it, it's what he does. It's why people want to take photos and, I guess, ask you to take them for them. Uh, but, but again, I, I do think we need people to start yelling Steve's name at all time in public. I, I, from, what I, from what I know of you, that, w- that won't make you at all uncomfortable. You'll love it to have your name screamed publicly constantly. Yeah, we can we can make that happen. So you you get on the horn. Um, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll ring up there and uh, I'll make it worth people's while. <laughs> I I have a slightly random question before I let you go. Uh, you mentioned your family coming over. Uh, your your wife and you and your children now live in uh, Germany. Is your wife German or is she American? 
my wife is German. She's born and raised in Hanover. Mm-hmm. And uh, my kids are now German-American or American-German, whatever we want to do. They carry both passports. And, but we're born here in Germany. So, all right, now I have two questions. Number one, so you're saying your children are dual nationals, and I don't know how I feel about that. Like, uh, can you commit them right now to playing for the U.S. men's national team if and when that becomes a possibility? Or U.S. national team, I should say. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so cool, um, that's, that's, that's the goal, and uh, they don't have much of a choice. So, um, <laughs> and hopefully at that point when they're, when they're old enough, um, they won't even think about playing for the German national because we'll be living back in the United States and involved in, in U.S. soccer at some point. Um, Doing whatever. It could be anything. <laughs> so, the, But the reason why I asked uh, uh, where your wife was from, this is, again, a strange question, but like for you coming from California, like obviously soccer is big, but it's still like, like a niche sport is maybe the wrong way to put it, but it doesn't have that sort of popularity that it obviously has in Germany. When you're meeting her family, <laughs> like, like how pumped are they uh, as Germans, who I'm going to assume at least enjoy casually uh, football, how excited were they when uh, their daughter brought home a uh, professional soccer player? And then how pumped were they when you were playing in a World Cup? Because I'm going to assume that had a decent amount of significance for them, uh, especially when it was in Germany. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, they had happy faces. I'm very proud of um of being a part of it. And, um, you know, looking at it now, I think anytime you're emotionally attached to people who are involved in events like that, um, you're obviously very interested in the event um, and inform yourself and um, uh, you want to be a part of the event. And now looking, you know, my wife now doesn't really, is not really interested in, 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 in the game as much as anymore as she was when I was playing and certainly not in the club. And I think, if you look at Hanover 96 now, I don't think she knows any players there anymore. The team has been completely recycled uh, from my generation that we did out um, due to age. So, um, yeah, you lose interest if you don't have that emotional attachment mm-hmm. to someone out there. So, yes, you can definitely feel that in, in the family. Um, and I think but the person who, who enjoyed the most was my wife's uh, grandma, who unfortunately no longer with us, but uh, she loved it. You know, she ate it up. She, I think she collected every single newspaper article and uh, introduced it to her always talking about it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to uh, make them in these aspects a little a little happier. I just I always think of it as like uh, Jim Gaffigan has the joke about like how how proud the Pope's parents are of like, oh, your son's a doctor. Our son's Pope. And I think of I think of your in-laws as being like, oh, your son-in-law's a doctor. Our son-in-law's playing in the World Cup. No big deal. He beat England. It's, it's, or he drew England, but he beat them himself. Uh, I feel I feel like that is the uh, the ultimate trump card. So I think good on you for that. Good on you for having the career you've had. Uh, long may it continue. Uh, what what happens next for you? Uh, quarantine, obviously, keeping you at home. Um, but when you said you maybe might move back to the United States it's at some point in the future. Is that like with the long-term goal of maybe taking up a coaching gig somewhere? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I just, just finished my um, UA for pro license as a coach. Um, so there is no more schooling after this. And um, yeah, I'm ready to go. So I'm ready to uh, jump into the men's game again and as a head coach. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, um, getting that first opportunity and then uh, making the most of that opportunity, whoever it may be, whether it's in the United States or here in Germany, um, I'm not too concerned. Um, you know, I feel comfortable in, in both places. Um, so, but I'm excited about the future, um, wherever that may be. Well, our local uh, adult amateur team here that uh, Daryl and I play on could always use a coach. Uh, I don't think we can afford you. I'm just going to guess that. But, you know, if you want to live in Richmond, Virginia, w- there's always a job here. Beautiful place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've, worked, I've worked for free. I've worked, uh, you know, obviously 
making a good salary, I'm not too concerned to me. Um, having no longer – ever since I retired as a player, the whole coaching gig um, or career – is more of like icing on the cake for me, um, and it's been it's been so much fun, and I do enjoy it, and I think um, I think I'm a better coach, a better coach because of it. Um, take a little bit of the you know the stress off people's backs, and, and have them enjoy the game and get better at it. I think that that makes uh, something um, that's very important and gets gets looked over in this crazy business of sports. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before you can uh, become a head coach, obviously you have to do some first grade math. Uh, I have faith in you to be able to do that. But Steve, I appreciate you taking uh, all the time to to chat with us about your five most memorable games, about your time with the national team, about your time in Germany and many other topics. And remember, everybody, if you see Steve Chirondolo in public, you have to scream Steve as loud as you can. That's the new rule. Steve Chirondolo, thank you once again for taking all the time to chat with me today. My pleasure. Take care.